It has been a little over a year since we have been grappling with the pandemic and just as we were celebrating the incredible scientific efforts that brought us the vaccines, we now see that the virus is mutating into new variants. Well, concerns are growing over new virus variants. Dr. Anthony Fauci says they should be our top concern in the U.S. and that the next six weeks will be critical in preventing their spread. These variants are making the virus spread faster and there is even talk that they could make the vaccines ineffective. To help me understand all things COVID variants and how worried we should exactly be, I'm joined by a world-leading expert on the issue, Professor Florian Kramer. Professor Kramer leads the Kramer Laboratory at the renowned Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. This is The Dive, the show where we bring you the world's foremost experts to break down news topics for you. Now what we're seeing is that the current spread of the virus is being driven by this new variant, at least one that's making the waves in the UK, and we're seeing a lot of headlines about the UK strain. Dr. Anthony Fauci says it's possible that the new variant spreading in the United Kingdom may already be in the United States. For all of us who are not even remotely affiliated with the medical profession, with science, can you explain what, what they're meaning by this new variant? Well, yeah, so there was a, a virus variant in um, there was a variant that um, was detected first in the UK in, in early fall uh, at relatively low frequency. And then over time, the frequency increased. And that's something that you look at because if the frequency increases, the virus might have some kind of ev evolutionary mm -hmm. advantage. The number of these in infections with that variant virus went quite up in, in uh, end of November, December, and then January. Um, it, you know, there were still many other uh, variants in the Delta virus circulating in the UK. But of course, when you see something like that, that's uh, kind of alarming. And then just by looking at data, um, it was suggested that this strain might be 50% more uh, infectious. So it you know, spreads a little bit quicker or easier. Um, that number was now revised down to 35% approximately. Uh, there were also fears that this variant uh, that that mutation would impact uh, really on how we neutralize this. Volunteers virus. in the trial are being regularly screened for the virus, the ultimate test on whether a vaccine is effective against the new variant. Uh, and it turned out, and there's now more and more data about that, that at least the UK variant um, doesn't seem to make any troubles. So it's more infectious, uh, that seems to hold true. There was now a report uh, today uh, from the UK that it might be that it might be a little bit more severe, um, but we are talking about very small uh, differences to the wild type strain. So, um, of course, more infectious is problematic because it spreads faster. Um, but other than that, there is not too much worry about vaccine efficacy with this virus. And and so by spreading faster, it gets to more people. It gets more people infected, and then through that, more people die. N not because it's deadlier, but because it spreads faster. Yeah, but you have to you have to be very careful with that. So, uh, so it's not that this virus is now super efficient and would uh, transmit, uh, you know, over miles and miles through the air. So it's 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 an effect, 
And if you look at that in the population, you certainly see that and it can be devastating. Uh, but it's not like now we have a new super virus that uh, does something that uh, that uh, the old variant was very bad at, right? So there is a difference. But um, um, so the practices that we use to stop these viruses right now, wearing masks, specifically uh, N95s or FFP, FFP2 masks. Prevent a more disastrous surge. Doctors say it's time to double down on mask wearing. This is not something to wait on. We should be getting higher quality masks and people should be wearing higher quality masks more or less right away. Uh, are still effective against this variant. Uh, social distancing still works. And we touched upon uh, the UK um, and we hear also about South Africa. South Africa's second wave of COVID-19 is sending ripples around the world. It's not so much the one million cases causing concern, but the mutant variant of the virus that's driving the surge. This morning, a race against time to speed up vaccinations as more contagious COVID variants emerge. The strain from South Africa, first detected in South Carolina, now found in Maryland. Is it also, do we see a similar variant there? Is it the same variant? Well, it's a little bit different there. So the South African and uh, there's also a Brazilian variant. Uh, they are a little bit more serious. Uh, there's new data, there were preprints coming out in the last few days that seem to suggest that there's, uh, there's a reduction in reproducing. Hearing the Moderna shots produce about six times fewer antibodies when used specifically against the South African variant. So the question is, what does what I just said mean? Um, it's unclear at this point in time how much um, and if that is going to impact uh, vaccine e efficacy or not, or vaccine effectiveness in the field. Um, that's not clear yet. So we don't know what the impact is yet, but we also see with the Moderna and the um, Pfizer vaccines, usually 14 days after the first shot, you see that protection kicks in and that's at very low levels of antibodies. And after the second shot, you have very high levels of antibodies. So if now a new variant comes and reduces that level a little bit, it might still uh, be sufficient uh, to be protected from, from getting, uh, getting uh, COVID-19. So I'm, I'm still pretty positive about it. You touched upon something that for this variant in South Africa and in Brazil, we don't know exactly the ins and outs of how they're acting. How much do you think that is known about these? So for the South African variant, there is now more data. Uh, South Africa is really active. Uh, they have a, a lot of good research lab that, labs that look into that. As as a scientist, I am tired as a human being. <laughs> there are now two preprints on this. There's also data from the Rockefeller University that looked uh, at, at similar mutations in a different way. Uh, in, for the Brazilian variant, it's a little bit more questionable. There is not that much data. Um, the problem that we see a little bit is that um, but then the viruses are in different countries and it still takes time to share these reactions, right? Uh, we still even in a pandemic and even with uh, the need for very uh, quick sharing of, of biological materials, uh, it still takes time. It doesn't take months, uh, how it, that's how it was uh, years ago, uh, but it still takes weeks. And uh, that's one of the reasons why there is not enough data yet, right? 
and the other problem is also that if you want to look at how um, how uh, mutation might impact on uh, you know case fatality rates, for example, you, if the effect is not very big, you need a lot of data to be confident that what you see is actually true. And so mm-hmm. that's why there are also still questions about the the British variant. Um, if there is not a lot of, if there are not a lot of differences, if there are just subtle differences, you need to collect a lot of data to be sure that the effect that you see is actually a true effect and not just noise that you're seeing. And for, again, those of us not very familiar with the science behind it, um, I mean, the coronavirus, this strain of virus that we were talking about, came also about recently. A year ago. On December 30th, a 34-year-old ophthalmologist from Wuhan, China, posted a message in his WeChat group, alerting fellow doctors that a new disease had emerged in his hospital. A year later, the pandemic rages on Eunice Yoon. Now we have new variants. Can we expect that newer and newer variants are going to be, you know, coming out in the next months? What is kind of the, the path forward in this virus's mutation that you would predict? Yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, there's, first of all, I mean, we already had the mink variant. There were a couple of European variants that were of concern. Um, They didn't turn out to be of much concern. Now we have these variants. Um, You know, one problem is uh, viruses change, and specifically if they replicate in a species a lot, they might start to adapt adapt more and more to that species. Um, And this, this is what we might see here, right? And the, the other problem is that RNA viruses mutate and uh, usually coronaviruses mutate a little bit uh, slower than, than other RNA viruses. Um, but what we see now is that, uh, first of all, we have a massive amount of infections, right? If you let the virus spread, the more people are infected, the more virus replication is there and the higher is the chance that you get a new variant. So that's one of the problems. If you would keep the virus spread under control, there would be very little uh, chance to get a, get virus variants. The other concern right now is that uh, some of these variants might come from people who, are, who have suppressed immune systems and who might have uh, more uh, sustained, I wouldn't say chronic, but longer infections, right? So the virus is in that body for a longer period of time and might start to adapt uh, in that body um, and so those are the, the things we have to we have to look at, right, and explore further. But I think the the most important point or the most important measure to avoid that these variants in humans arise is really to cut down on circulation. The the less replication, the fewer chances that something like that happens. And so that's another important um, consideration that we really have the the biosecurity. Uh, that, for example, if you have mink farms, if you have uh, if you have all kinds of other farmed animals, these viruses don't jump into these species because in some cases they can. Then they might change and they might come back into into humans, and then we might have to deal with another variant, right? So I think those are the the two problems, and they're connected, right? Because if you have very little virus replication in the population, it's also very unlikely that these uh, viruses jump into mink, for example, because the people who work on these mink farms are not infected if there's very little virus, right? Making the link now to the vaccine, you mentioned that the vaccines that are approved right now, 
in the Western world seem to function to, to work to be still effective on these new variants. Is that correct? No, yes and no. So for the British variant, I think there's enough data so that we can so say that there there might be, there's probably no effect, right? Uh, for the South African variant, there seems to be an effect. We just don't know how strong that is. And certainly we don't have the data. Uh, well, there's some data from Rockefeller that suggests that there is a reduction, but you don't lose the neutralizing activity. So there's no, more data needed to look at that. Uh, there could be an impact. It's not clear. Uh, I think for the British variant, it's safe to say that there is no impact. But for the South African one, there's an indication that it could lower the antibodies that you have when you're vaccinated. Um, but we don't know yet to what level or if any level. Exactly. That's fair to say. And for the Brazilian variant, we don't basically know anything. But since it's very similar to the South African variant, I would make the same assumption. I would then assume that if we are unsure how these variants are going to impact or mess with the effectiveness of the vaccine, then we need to use up the vaccines that we have as soon as possible before the variant spreads even more. However, at least the West has been receiving quite some criticism on the slow vaccine rollout. What are your thoughts on it? Well, it's a mixed bag, right? Israel is doing great. Uh, they are at 30, yeah. 35% uh, as of today. I While in most countries around the world, you have to be part of a priority group to be vaccinated, Israeli clinics have been giving out any remaining doses to the general public after the day scheduled appointments end for priority patients. Um, in other countries, it's it's going slower, and that has different reasons, right? Initially, I think it, it takes some time. There's a lag time. You have to start vaccinating. Um, then, you know, we had in many countries phases where you said we're, we're basically first healthcare workers were vaccinated, uh, then people of certain age groups, and that's what we are still doing. And that also complicates things because you can't do a mass vaccination campaign and just vaccinate everybody, right? So that's not what that that complicates things as well. Um, and then you need to get the operation started. And you see that the numbers in the U.S., for example, of vaccinated people per day have now started to climb, right? We're definitely getting better at it, but we're not quite fast enough. This really has to be an effort that has no speed limit. And we are sort of hitting that million dose per day mark that people had been talking about. But we have to go much faster if we're going to stay ahead of these variants, stay ahead of this, this uh, fast spreading pandemic. So... Usually now we're around a million per day, but it's going up. Uh, and that's just basically setting up the operation. The other problem that, that there is, is there's limited vaccine supply, right? And so uh, that's, of course, also a problem. In Europe right now, I think Pfizer um, informed the European Union that they would uh, would deliver less vaccine because their facility in Europe is, is getting overhauled so that they can produce more vaccine in the near future. The company deciding that it's going to wind down for a short period of time its production of the vaccine. That is likely to hit supplies to all EU countries. But that basically reduces the, the, the output of the production facility right now. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's still a bottleneck in, in producing enough vaccine. And... Um... Because the vaccines are 
taken in two doses, do we see that um, countries are resorting to this kind of, okay, let's take the first dose now and um, let's vaccinate as many people as we can and we give them the second dose when we get it or, you know, it's not as um, clear cut that people will get um, two doses in the schedule that it was suggested. Well, the schedule that the vaccines were licensed for. Um, yeah, yeah, no, you're correct. Most countries really stick to uh, how the vaccines were tested and how they were licensed in their respective countries. The UK didn't do that. They uh, suggested that it might be, or they're basically um, using a 12-week interval between the two vaccinations. The advice had been to give two doses within three weeks of each other for best protection. Now they say within three months and GPs told us the change is at best confusing, at worst off-putting. Uh, while we're supposed to use a three-week interval for Pfizer and a four-week interval for the Moderna vaccine. Um, that's a strategy that might work or might not work, um, but specifically with variants now that uh, might reduce your, your immunity, uh, I think it's, it's especially important to get the two doses into as many people as possible, as quickly as possible. And I think that uh, that period of time where people have only partial immunity is, is, is not ideal. Mm -hmm. And what could, if you, like you said, if the vaccines were licensed, and I'm sure there's a reason that they set those weeks, that exact interval, if you say, you know, I prolonged it. What are the effects of that? What 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 do these countries risk to happen? Well, I mean, immunologically, you don't risk much, right? I don't think from that perspective, it's a problem. Once you have the second dose, it should be the same. Um, but of course, and we know that after the first shot, people can get the relatively high rate asymptomatic infections. And one worry is that when people have low antibody titers and then get infected, they might just they might not develop symptoms, but the, the virus might circulate in their body and might actually uh, mutate uh, just because there's the right dose of, of, of antibody there. The antibodies are ticking it a little bit. It changes to escape that. You know, if that window of time where that can happen is three weeks or four weeks uh, or... 12 weeks, I mean, that's that's a, a big difference, right? So you increase that risk. But if there is an actual risk and you multiply it by three or four, that could lead to a problem. And if you get an escape, that or a virus that escapes very efficiently from, uh, from vaccine-induced immunity, uh, that's not a, a, a national problem for a country. That's a global problem. And that might impact on all vaccine candidates. And so my opinion, it's not worth risking it. And I think uh, the different countries should stick to the intervals that uh, uh, basically were recommended after the phase three trials where it was shown that these vaccines work in that fashion. Mm -hmm. And then now um, sort of we're seeing that there are two big hurdles that we're facing on one hand that there the virus has achieved different variations and you know the future is uncertain how these will develop and if new ones develop as well and on the other hand 
you know, the light in the end of the tunnel, at least what many have been relying on, the vaccine, it's, it has limited supply, so it can't be rolled out in the uh, speed that we had hoped for a very um, fast end to the whole pandemic. So with that in mind, do you think that we are over optimistic that 2021 is going to be far better than 2020? Um, in terms of at least by the end of it seeing a different situation? No, I don't think we are optimistic. I, I, I think um, it, was it was always clear, at least uh, for people who work with, with vaccines, that it's not so easy to roll out that many vaccine, vaccines, right? Uh, there will always be issues with that. Uh, the expectation is that uh, by, the, by the end of spring, we'll have a good vaccination rate. In, in some countries or many countries, and uh, at least in the US and in Europe, I expect that these vaccination rates are going to be sufficiently high in high-risk populations to make a, a strong impact on uh, severe cases and mortality. Uh, and I also expect that uh, during the summer, the, the vaccination rates will increase uh, to really take care of that problem in fall. Because the assumption is that in spring, when it gets warmer in the Northern Hemisphere, virus circulation will get down a little, go down a little bit. We have seen that last year. And that there might be a reoccurrence, a stronger reoccurrence in fall. But if you're well prepared for that, these high vaccination rates, then that shouldn't be a problem anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic about it, to be honest. And when can we expect this bottleneck to open up? Well, in many regards, of course, this delay by Pfizer is entirely out of the control of the European Commission. The company deciding that it's going to wind down for a short period of time its production of the vaccine. That is likely to hit supplies to all EU countries in uh, the weeks to come, particularly towards the end of this month and the start of next. It's not just in Europe, it must be said. Uh, Canada, for example, is going to face a similar problem. What are the um, pharmaceutical companies saying about the new doses that are needed in order to effectively curb the pandemic? I mean, there are projections of the different companies, how much they can provide in, in 2021. Um, and there are hiccups sometimes with that, right? Uh, specifically, we are talking about uh, vaccine production at a scale that's very, very large, right? And partially, uh, these are new vaccine technologies that have never been produced at that scale. Or we're talking about companies that have never produced a vaccine for the market. Uh, and so there's always hiccups, right? But I would assume a steady increase. I would assume that most of the companies actually uh, meet their uh, or approximately meet their projections. The most important point now is that we get more and more vaccines licensed. I was always saying that, uh, you know, you see a diversity of, of vaccines. There's many that are getting developed. There's many in phase three trials uh, right now. And we need all of them because, um, you know, right now what we are looking at is vaccination campaigns in Europe, vaccination campaigns in North, North America. We see very little uh, vaccination elsewhere. And uh, this is uh, a global pandemic and everybody needs vaccine. This thing is real. It kills. And let's just be hopeful that this vaccine is it. And then we might get it free as quick as possible as the people overseas. And 
people need to keep in mind this pandemic is not going to be over until it's over everywhere. Um, and uh, I think right now uh, we're in a relatively unfair situation where, um, you know, the Western countries are starting to get their their uh, their vaccine doses, even though we see it's a slow rollout, uh, but many countries are not receiving any vaccines yet, right? And so I think you also need to see that from a global perspective. But I think uh, speed will pick up and more and more vaccines will get licensed. Dr. Florian Krema, thank you so much for being a guest on The Dive. Really appreciated your uh, input. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Dive. If you support our mission to bring you the leading thinkers and doers from Harvard and beyond to break down the news for you, then subscribe, comment, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Dive Podcast.